Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumpacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. Today's guest is one of the theater's most recognizable faces. For almost 40 years, he has entertained audiences in a myriad of genres and mediums, but today we are celebrating his great legacy of theatrical works, a legacy that has been awarded with two Tony Awards and the first one he won when he was 20. So if you don't feel accomplished, there you go. 20 years old, he got a Tony Award, my God. And his stage works include Torch Song Trilogy, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, The Producers, The Odd Couple, Nice Work If You Can Get It, The Starry Messenger, Night Must Fall, The Widow Claire, and coming up next, a revival of the Plaza Suite with his wife, Sarah Jessica Parker. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Herb Ross, Gene Sachs, Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, Kenneth Lonigan, Susan Stroman, Harvey Firestein, and so many others, here is the great James Broderick's son, Matthew. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am good, thanks. So now, you grew up in an artistic family, to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah. When did you first realize that like, what your dad did for a living? Gee, that's a good, you know... I, one of the one of my earliest memories with that is uh, <clears throat> I think we went with him to uh, Stockbridge to do some play, and I'm probably mixing up a few because this happened a few times. But there was one that Frank Langella directed oh, that wow. Anne Bancroft was in. Oh my god! And I might be mixing up two things, but the, the but. One of those, I used to love those summers. I would get to go to these uh, a couple of times to some, you know, that's what was our summer break. It was our way to get out of the city was right. we go with him to one of these theaters. And so backstage became a place that I got familiar with. And um, I had some lovely summers. I remember one time though, and I think it was the one with Franklin Jolla, there was, there was a park for, a, for children. So they said, you know, you, we, you and your sister, meaning me and my sister Janet, you could play the two kids, you know. And as soon as my father said, would you like to actually come on stage? You know, and I think I was seven or eight. I burst into tears and uh, that horrified me is my only <laughs> point. <laughs> <laughs> I thought wow. what my father did was fun when it was just just having like instant um hot chocolate with marshmallows in it backstage and watching the monitor. I like that part of children's But the idea of actually like being on stage or having to hold a script and read out loud in front of anybody made me just want to die. So, so how did you, how did you get over that and eventually be like, I want to try this? <laughs> well, my reading got better for one. <laughs> So I felt I could <laughs> helps. Possibly, I could say the words that were written on a page, you know, by the time I was nine or 10 years old. So um, it just gradually happened. I liked work doing little school plays that we would make up when I was little. I liked that. I definitely started to become aware of my 
my dad. I, I went to visit him at um, when he was shooting Dog Day Afternoon, I remember. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, in Brooklyn. So I gradually became very aware of movies and, and loved them. Mm-hmm. But I kind of kept it to myself that it was maybe something I might be interested in until I would say high school. And, and you're a pretty like open movie buff, right? Like that's that's something you're... I do. I, yeah, I guess I am. I watch a lot of movies. I mean, I'm, I'm not... I don't keep up with current movies as much as I wish I did, but I know, but I, for some reason I, I watch a lot of old movies. Are you a TCM nut? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are like three older films that you feel like young actors should see that they might not have seen? Oh boy. There's so many. Um, Doddsworth I saw recently. Oh yeah. Okay. Yankee Doodle Dandy. I like James Cagney. You know, I'm not called James Cagney. Yeah, I really think no. pick any one of those. Edward G. Robinson, every young actor should see and uh, imitate as much as possible. Yeah. I think everybody should talk like that. <laughs> um, I think sometimes watching older stuff is when it's not your time, you can, I don't know, you can look at it in a different way. I think it's helpful for actors to know before there was this style you know yes. how it was done. I don't know. It's just it's it's interest. It's interesting to me. It's not as uh, what's fashionable. It's more like y- you could just watch the humanity of it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And where would you say you got your you know your sort of training as an actor? I mean, you started so young. So where did you know other than just doing it and and watching it? Um, but where would you say you picked up sort of your the beginnings of your craft? Well. You know, mostly doing it, but also I, I, you know, grew up with a, you know, my father was a, uh, he, he did a lot of theater and then eventually he did a lot of TV and, and movies too. But, right. um, but so I spent time at theaters. I watched plays over and over again, which I think was interesting because I saw that they, they would, how they would change. You know, I was somebody who would sit in the audience. I watched House of Blue Leaves maybe 30 times with my father. And I liked that. I liked the atmosphere. And then I think dinner conversation with my mom and dad was actually extremely a a way to learn because they talked about theater and they talked about acting a a lot. They both went to the neighborhood playhouse with Sandy Meisner and idolized him. So in some distant way i think i probably learned a little bit of the um of neighborhood playhouse uh, if if i learned any technique it would probably be that second generation from, from yeah. my mom and dad anytime they saw me in a play we would talk my dad would talk through every moment with me and oh wow yeah and my mom too actually so uh uh and then i went to i also uh i went to hp studio and and i took a, a couple of classes there when I, after I was graduated high school, I took Uta Hagen's class and mm-hmm. um, that's really the only class I actually, I sat in on some others, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, I took Uta Hagen's class and that's some good um, stuff. Yeah. yeah. What, what are some things that you learned in that class that you still take with you today? To be honest, I feel I learned more from my parents and from, from doing it and other actors. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Which so is you, no insult to, to Uda. I, I I also had a very good, I should mention, acting teacher in high school. Oh, oh please, uh, yeah. Named uh, Bruce Cornwall, and he uh, he taught me a lot that I still remember. And and um, and I remember I, I didn't study with Uda very long because I got a job and I mm-hmm. left because mm-hmm. I got work. But um, Bruce taught me a lot and I, and so and and many things to this day I, i'll be something will happen and i'll remember something i remember being told or learning it's funny but oh wow you know yeah do you feel like the best way of doing this is to be in the trenches as as opposed to in a you know in a, a laboratory environment for me yes yeah. i i mean Although I think since it's hard for somebody starting out to get in the trenches or to, you know, you can't just walk out and get a job. Mm -hmm. So I think acting school, if it's good, of course, you can learn the actual technique and school and all that. But if nothing else, at least you're getting to work on scenes and read them out loud. And uh, 
that you have to do. You can't learn it alone. You, mm-hmm. you have to, at some point, have a group of people watch you and you have to do it and see how it feels and try to get better at it. And mm-hmm. there's a million ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But it, it can't be done from reading a book or, or, you know, you, you have to do it. Do you feel like you have a technique or, or, um, you know, a, a set of rules that you follow when you start to create a role or, or does it change or is it gut instinct or how do you like to work? It, some people would say, I don't do anything. <laughs> <I don't> really, <laughs> you know, I'm not process. When I, get, when I get to rehearsal, it's, I worked with Laura Linney once and her script was, absolutely covered with very <laughs> neat little notes, you know, where right. I went to school, you know, my niece, <laughs> my niece had a cold right. Right. concerned and I have to call her later. And my script was just, you know, I hadn't even bothered to circle my name, you know, but uh, on the other hand, I probably, you know what I do? I read things a lot and I think about them and I try to think about them even when I'm not thinking about them. And no. I'll, I'll find it, I'll be in some situation in my life and say, oh, this is this is what that scene is. What I just that argument I had with my son is exactly what is happening in that scene that I've been having trouble. So I find I without whether I want to or not, I start I start working on it. And I and I probably when I started out, I used to, I did write out, you know, this is my action, this is what I want, yeah, yeah. this is you know, my obstacle, and all these things which are very, very important. But as you get older and you've done it more, I, I think every most actors will tell you you sort of don't do that because it just it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just start, you sort of think of things that way anyway. Right. It's like breathing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my technique is to the. the I don't have a technique except that I I, uh, I, li- I try to listen. This is an overused word. And I think that the, the trouble that you get into it sometimes, or I do, is if I, if I read something and think the other actor should be really mad at me here and I'll do this, I'll constantly put whatever voice I think the other character should have. You know, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I picture it that way. And then I get there and the guy or the man or woman is, isn't playing it that way. So I think you get in trouble in acting when you try to say, well, since I think he should feel this way about me, I'm going to respond as if he does. Mm, Yeah. And what's always better and very hard to learn, even at my great age is you have to just accept what, what came. Mm-hmm. and uh, go from there. You, you you cannot, no matter how much you want somebody to do something, that's not how it works. And for you, what would be the, like the ideal rehearsal process? Do you like a lot of table work? Do you like, I want to get up on my feet, I just want to do it? it? If you could create that environment, what would it be? It's different. You know, it, I, I don't love too much. I like table work, but I'm not somebody who wants to hear everybody's ideas over and over again and, and arguments about, you know, some, some things are better left unsaid actually. And sometimes the, the joke or the story about your train ride to rehearsal is more um, relevant mm-hmm. uh, because without meaning to, you, you, you discover something that way. Like I, I've always noticed, like when something when a rehearsal goes well, or you get a get a laugh on some moment, somebody say, "Why? Why was it funny this time and not funny last night?" And nine times out of ten, you say, "I don't know." Yeah, yeah. So the things that we know and discuss and sometimes help, but very often they come and you say. I don't know why it just is. It just feels better that way. And the audience laughed and I have no idea why. Right. Yeah, yeah it's true. I don't make a joke in, in life and say, Oh, I know I have an idea. Right. Set <laughs> it up this way. You know, I just, just start talking. <laughs> now, what do you look for out of like a director? What would be the, the for you, the ideal director actor relationship? They're, uh, they're all different ones. So I would love to have so different, you know, but I could, mm. I could love them. 
I, I like, you know what you need is somebody who really, and I'll immediately take this back, but you need somebody who's a great audience for you, who thinks you're great and thinks you're funny. If you don't have that, you're in some trouble. Have you ever worked, you don't have to name names, have you ever worked in an environment like that where you felt like you were giving so much and that person was just not in your corner? Yes. Yes, I have. But but usually it's, I feel that way too. I feel it's not going well. Mm. I can tell they feel it's not going well. And it's not even the, the director's fault. It could be just as much my fault or nobody's fault. Yeah. But that can get very bad. And when, when, when they're not confident in you and you lose your own, confidence in yourself you are uh steadily you're up how, a creek how do you overcome that you still have a, a story to tell you still have a show to put on how do you overcome that it depends you either say well let me get somebody else to come look at this do i have a friend who can mm. help me do could is it something that the director is not telling me that he or she knows and would i be better off hearing it should i say just tell me what's bothering you mm-hmm. uh, should I decide you and I like different things and I'm going to sort of separate and keep my own lane and then we'll see what happens when the play opens. You know, there have been definitely times when directors and actors don't get along and it comes out great. Okay. You know, it doesn't, everybody doesn't have to be uh, friendly and happy the whole time. In fact, that often leads to a show where the audience says, I, I don't know what you guys are all uh, <laughs> laughing about. <laughs> totally, but nothing drama. There's no drama. Glad you enjoyed, you know, 890 Broadway. <laughs> or <Good old> 890. <laughs> so we're going to jump back now. So when you, you, you get out of high school, you start going in, into acting classes. Are your parents supportive of you saying, yeah, this is, this is going to be my career? Yes. Uh, I mean, they were, my father was, I think my impression, he got kind of like, he removed himself a little bit once it got serious, you know? Oh. When I, when I was a kid, he would love to come and to, he always came to play, any play did he always came. Hmm. But as I started to think I want to go to acting school, he, he, he was, I could feel him get more like, well, that's a decision you have to make, you know? Do you want to go to college first to then go to acting school? Do you want to go to acting school then college, which is what I decided. Right. Uh, I never felt pressure. I never felt, I felt supported, but never like urged mm. into it. Or, or they were basically like, this is really up to you. And when you started the auditioning process, were you focusing on, hey, I, I just want to do stage or I'll do film and TV, I'll do both? Did you have a specific focus when you started or just, I want to work? Were you singing? <laughs> I wasn't singing, really. I, I sang a teeny bit in high school, but okay. that was not my thing. I, I um, Although I took singing lessons, come to think of it, mm-hmm. I didn't, I just wanted to work. I I did a play in high school and there was a, a classmate who had it, whose mother was a casting director or some, you know, one of those ways yeah. you get things. And I auditioned for somebody and somehow ended up at it with an agent. And then I just, I read for every commercial, every, every possible thing I could. Yeah. Do you like auditioning or did you like auditioning? No, I, I mean, I didn't like it exactly. Although, I worked hard at it and I, um, I, I wanted a job so badly. I wanted to get a job so badly. So it was exciting in a way. And mm-hmm. sometimes it would go well and sometimes not. It took me, it, it took a while. I, I've had a lot of unsuccessful auditions before um, uh, Torch Song Trilogy, actually. And, and tell us about the audition process of Torch Song. Well, Torch Song, um, when I started my career, I, I kind of, I got a big movie that fell apart just as an aside. Oh, big uh, Sally field starring. Yeah. But that fell apart in during shooting. My only point is I had this big start and then I auditioned for maybe a year and a half and got nothing. Nothing. Oh, that'll humble you. Yeah. Yeah. So like I couldn't get anything. I would read for summer stock I remember reading for some summer stock of something in a crowded room with a little Samuel French script. They didn't let me finish. Oh. And I'd worked on this monologue and they said, oh, thank you. And I remember calling either my mom or my dad and crying from a payphone. Yeah. 
because I was like this. So I was quite miserable mm. um, some of the time, you know? Sure, sure. Torch Song Trilogy was luckily nobody was not so nobody knew it was going to be what it was, you know, my agent was like, I don't even know if you should read for it. So luckily it didn't feel like everybody wanted it. Yeah. So uh, I went down to, I think La Mama mm-hmm. and uh, I might've read for a casting director first, but my memory first is reading with Harvey, Harvey Firestein. And he was sitting on one side of a table and I was on the other and we had our scripts and we just read, scene after scene he was smoking cigarettes <laughs> and uh had this incredible voice i didn't and he was laughing and very nice to me always right from when it started then they said wait around estelle getty came and i read with estelle getty <laughs> wow and then you know like that day i might be conflating a couple of stories but the the producer said we'd like you to do it Right there. Just right in the... Oh, my God. Yeah, that might have been a callback, I suppose. But he Maybe. took me out in the lobby and said, we want to hire you. <laughs> and he said, you know, and it was about a four, oh, a five-hour play at that time to be done at a, you know, hundred and something seat house. So it wasn't like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Go, right. I'll let me go put the mortgage down. <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> Totally. No, I get it. You know what I mean? But, but after a year and a half of auditioning and auditioning, yes. you're like, yes, well, finally. Yes. And I read it and I loved it. I have to say, yeah. I read the script and I was like, this is so, and I, so I was very, very happy. And, and uh, it was turned into a real adventure. It was, I was also hired as the assistant stage manager at that same uh, oh. audition. <laughs> Two for one. <laughs> Two for yeah, he said, and you're the ASM. And I said, great, fine, yeah. This is great. Yeah. He's he's off book. Sure. He's got glow tape. Sure. We got somebody here. This is great. Yeah, they let they stopped that after a very short time. <laughs> right. By the way, did I'm so curious because you know at the, at this time we weren't really seeing a lot of plays that were about the gay world. Did, were, did any agent or anyone say to you, "What are you, you know? What are you doing? What this is this is going to harm you?" Yeah, a little bit. Um, I remember an agent saying, you know, since it's your first thing, is this what you want? Because, you know, now you'll be gay or be playing gay people or, you know, in those days. Or, um, But this was a time when it was, I don't want to say we, this was a huge risk or, you know. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah I, I did have an agent say that. But I was just like I I like the I like it and I don't have anything else and I want to do it. I just really mm-hmm. wanted to do it. I never took that seriously. Mm. So when you when you get into the play and all of a sudden it's like a juggernaut, right? It's it's yeah. this, what what is that experience like for you? It was amazing. It was it was we started at a place called the Richard Allen Center. It was like the fifth floor of a on sixty fourth and Broadway or something like that. This theater. And uh, I was supposed to run the slide projector for the the middle play when they're all in bed. But that, they, and then I was like, I can't get ready for the third play if I'm running this fucking slide projector. Right. <laughs> said, okay, you don't have to do that. You have to replug all the lighting between the bats. <laughs> and I did that badly. <laughs> he said, okay, forget it. You're just the actor now. So <laughs> just. I, which I really was happy to hear. Yes. Um, but but uh, Torch Song began there and tr- truthfully didn't even sell very well the first few weeks. It was uh, not full houses and it was very, very long, longer than it was on when it was on Broadway. Oh, wow. And um, they had done those plays incidentally alone before that this is yeah it was not new but it was the first time he put the three together and then mel gusso the times critic came and gave, gave it a great review unless i'm remembering this i think this is how it happened and then then suddenly it was packed then other critics came and loved it and before i knew it it was the first time i'd had this that like friends started saying hey could i get you know, could Mike mm-hmm. take my girlfriend next week to, you know, suddenly it was, it was an interesting switch from yeah. well, you're in that five hour play that I don't ever want to have to see <laughs> to, uh, you know, 
And then we moved downtown to the uh, Actors Playhouse, it was called, on um, 7th Avenue and uh, near Bleecker Street. Mm -hmm. And it became the play to see. And um, that's how I got Neil Simon. And, you know, those things I, I really feel all came because... I could say to Herbert Ross, you know, come see that, you know, he, I didn't have to say it. He wanted to see that play. And, and so when you audition and somebody's, and you're the kid from that play that everybody loves, it's much different than this is one of my clients. Will you please let him read? You know? Yeah. That's like an over, I mean, not overnight, but like one gig and that just really yes. changed your, it, your, the way the, the, whole, the business perceived you. Exactly. And the atmosphere when you walk in the room to audition is different. Completely. So. Yeah. And then you, you're better. Cause you, yeah. don't feel, you feel like, yeah, do you want to try it again? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And how did you meet Neil Simon? What was the first, the first meeting? I think I read for Brighton Beach Memoirs. I read for Marilyn Zatmary is the name of the casting director. And uh, I think I read for her alone first. I'm sure I probably did. But then I remember reading on a, on a stage, a Broadway stage, you know, those old fashioned. Yes. Yes. We love those. hearing about that. Yeah. And um, might be almost the only time I've done that. Which, uh, yeah. I don't know. But, but uh, yeah. And, and Neil Simon was out there behind a table out in the house, you know, just like mm -hmm. in those old movies. Oh, I love that. And, uh, yeah. And I heard him laugh a few times and I was like, wow. And then, uh, <laughs> I got called back, you know, a few weeks later and read again for him. And then I came and read for, so I didn't meet him. I just saw him. He said, hello. And, mm -hmm. uh, but he kept calling me back and, and eventually Herbert Ross was out there with him and I read for the two of them. And that day they said, come back later today. And, and they said, will you read this screenplay that we're about to do? <laughs> and I said, okay. And uh -uh. I, I sat in the house with the director, with Herbert Ross, and we read what was Max Dugan Returns, which turned out to be my first movie. Oh. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and um, you know it was an incredible day. That by the end of that day, I had both parts, and they told me. So, so you, <laughs> yeah. So, unbeknownst to you, you were auditioning for a film at the same time. Is, is basically yes. what happened. Exactly. I, I know how infuriating that must be to many people to hear, but it was very, very <laughs> so, exciting. Did you film Max Dugan Returns first, and then do Brighton Beach, or was it Brighton Beach then take a break? How did? What was the chronology there? They hired me for both, but, but Brighton Beach wasn't starting for nine months or something like that. So I shot the movie first. The movie was pretty soon and then did it, ended up doing another movie in between, which is War Games. And, War the, games. and the reason that kind of came about was because Herbert Ross, who had hired me for Max Dugan, let them watch dailies at war games and that's how that came about oh well that's that's what was it like working with herb ross what kind of director was he well he and neil fell out before the play started so yeah. gene Sachs directed it right but i did get directed by herbert for the movie and also for the audition mm -hmm. and herbert was uh great to me and he's, I've never known if Gene Sachs would have hired me, by the way. You know, I, oh, I, was gonna... <laughs> you know, I might not have. Oh, right. Know. And he filled in. So he had, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Her Herbert would, could have his little moments of, he was not always easygoing, but he was, he was somebody who I always felt thought I was great. You know, as mm. I said before, yeah. which was particularly when you're starting out was very important. He really took care of me. Because <laughs> to film your first movie, you're just so it's so unnatural. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And, uh, right. and he just always said, good job, Matthew. And, you know, you're doing great. You know, you're doing fine. He treated me seriously. He, he would invite me to the dinners with Marsha Mason and Jason Robards. And, mm. You know, he made me feel like I was really part of the cast and, uh, and just made me 
feel comfortable, as did Marsha Mason, as did Jason Robards, you know. So uh, I, I was very, very lucky with the people I, I got involved with. And, and Donald Sutherland. Yeah. And these theatrical pedigree too. I mean, these people that are not only great actors, but they, they have such roots in the, in the theater. Yes, and the, and uh, J- and Jason and I became uh, very close. He had known my father, and uh, <clears throat> my father was actually very ill at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. Jason really like took it on upon himself to keep wow. me uh, sane. You know, he, that's very kind. He ate, he ate lunch with me, and and we stayed very close friends. Yeah. I loved it. That's wonderful. That's really lovely. What an education. And then you yeah. go from that and you go into, into Brighton Beach. So this is the lead in a Neil Simon play. What was this process like? Gene Sachs, Neil Simon. How what just what what, what was this? This is this is what people would kill, kill to be in a room with these people. Yeah. I know. It was it was great. And you know, it was a new director, and he did he got rid of a couple of cast members. So it was Ooh. a rocky, rocky beginning because yeah. it was Who's who's next? And I think yeah. I remember I had a few days of rehearsal where I was like, they're focusing on me quite a bit. <laughs> and uh, you know, and they were. And uh yeah. I remember Manny Eisenberg told me, the producer, don't throw away the jokes. <laughs> and um It's such a Manny thing I feel like yeah. to say. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I remember I left and I was like, what does that mean? Don't throw away. <laughs> I still not. I still don't really know. And even though I went through maybe some difficult moments early on in that process or whatever, uh, Gene Sachs was huge influence on me. Mm -hmm. Um, Seriously funny man, and very smart, and and directed comedy always very organically. He wanted everything to be true and the mm. more truthful it was the funnier it was and um he was a he had a great sense of humor which really helps and then but beyond that he just he just liked everything to be human and real and uh i loved him mm-hmm. and when you said you, you know you struggled a little bit at the beginning of the process struggling finding the character finding the rhythms feeling like you belong i mean this is a star vehicle i mean this whole yeah. show is resting on your shoulders there's so much um outer directed monologues in this yeah. piece. How do you do that when there's no, there's no audience? It's, you know, you're, you're talking to a wall. Everyone else has yeah. seen partners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's hard. And it, you know, I said it to Gene and Neil. I mean, I just said it to the people in the rehearsal room, the, the stuff that was supposed yeah. to be to, to the audience. Um, I, you know, when I was aware that the lead in a Neil Simon play was a huge deal, Thank God I had already done, a, I had just done a movie with him. Right. So at this point I, I knew him and we had a relationship mm-hmm. and I had done war games too. So I wasn't just a newcomer. Yes. It wasn't like a torch song. It was like, they wouldn't really want to fire me. You know, right. I could panic about it, but I also know it would be a big deal to. Sure. So I had a little bit of, uh, weight on my side if you know what i mean yeah Um, and the material was so freaking good like you kind of it would be hard to miss with that part um and and if i got in any difficulty you know what happens in comedy sometimes that everybody stops thinking it's funny after a while you get bored of it and the actors too Mm -hmm. And I've had this happen so many times now and people start to say what's wrong or panic. And then if all goes well, when, when an audience comes, everybody goes, Oh, okay. I forgot that none of this crap even matters. They're still laughing about the the main event, which we forgot three weeks ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And I forget it as an actor. I obsess about something and get in front of an audience, and the audience is like, "Just skip." I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> damn it, that's like, nothing. Who cares? I care about yeah. that? I already knew that. You know, it's so mysterious. Half the time, it doesn't work out that way. But if I can survive till the audience gets there, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm, I'll make it. But I always, often in rehearsal at about week three, somebody says, "Do we have to get rid of him? Do we have to?" Uh, 
hire a handler to walk around with him and, you know, feed him his lines. And, you know, I've had some things like that. But then oh, wow. the says, you're okay. Yeah, that makes absolute total sense. Part of the process. Yeah. Then how do you sustain this over a long run? Because after a while, you'll figure out what the audience's rhythms are going to be in their response. Yeah. How do you keep, you know, after a year or so, how do you keep that fresh for yourself? Yeah, a year is hard, you know. Um, I have done that several times. Um, you know, the nice thing about a long run is you get over that, is this good, you know, feeling, you know, just the sheer terror. Will I remember everything? Will, you know, will this work at all? And so you, so that part of it fades away. So, so it's very nice to go to a theater and walk on a stage with no anxiety, really. Mm -hmm. Um, there's always some anxiety, but after a few months, you, you just, yep. I love, there's a period in there when you've been doing it long enough, not long enough to be just crazy and stale and all that, which happens too, right. but, but long enough where you almost don't have to think about it. Like it's bad and it can be bad and good, but I, I can, I've like, I'll have a scene with somebody and we've said, done, done it so much that I, my mind is, I'm saying it, but my, I'm some, yeah. someplace else. Right. It's free. Yes. Yeah. And, and you notice that when something goes wrong, right. And the other actor looks at you like, what happens now? And you think, I wasn't, I'm sorry. I'm not uh, wait, where listening. are we? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to ask somebody else because I am not, I'm not here. It seems that your relationship with Neil Simon and Gene Sachs obviously worked out because then they used you again and you went back to them again for Bloxy yeah. Blues. Mm -hmm. Now that you had played the role once before, did you have any more creative input in where Eugene was going to go or did you leave that to Neil Simon? How did that, process work oh it, i left it to neil I, neil was not somebody i don't think maybe some actors told him what they thought but not me what was he like what was he i mean we have this great we have the great work but we don't know much about the man because we never worked with him what was he like well he, he was quiet he was um uh, you know i i wasn't i didn't become i didn't socialize with him that much mm -hmm. i was you know i was i was younger and i was the actor and he and Gene were at one side of the table. He was sort of formal in that way. You know, they would, they would whisper to each other and have meetings with the producer and it would filter to you. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, it wasn't the kind of thing where Neil would say, should I keep this scene or not, Matthew? What do you think? It, it was very, he wrote alone. He was very much his own person and I would never uh mess with him I would occasionally he'd cut something and I'd say please please let me have it. let me try that joke one more time you know I do remember <laughs> moments like that um we would you know if if you didn't get a laugh one night at the actors we would we would glance at each other like shit you know Neil Neil will cut that <laughs> right, right. so uh Two nights later, you'd be like, is the line still in? You know, when you had a meeting with the uh, director, you'd just be waiting for the uh, knife to come out because he didn't like uh, jokes that didn't, didn't go over. Um, but he, Neil could be very tense. I'm not the only one who would say that. He'd get, you know, not paranoid, but worried. He was not, he took comedy very seriously mm -hmm. and plays very seriously. And he was plenty of worry about is this working is this good mm -hmm. but when he was happy when he let himself be happy you know he would give you a, a hug or a uh, a letter a beautiful letter on this blue stationery i have letters from him that are from both ends of the uh, rainbow by the way yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but, um, that's showbiz <laughs> yeah but the uh, but the loving ones are, are were just uh, incredible. He was he could be very very kind when he when he was. Just breezing along with a breeze, breezing along. Hey Lucy, where's Viv this weekend? Viv's back at the studio. 
She's helping to donate to Patreon.com and keep behind the curtain Broadway's living legends on the air. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. In front of the curtain, behind the curtain, all the curtains. Oh, that's a terrific idea, honey. We better pull over and donate. Yeah, we better pull over and donate. Open a new window. Who told you to sing? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brighton Beach, you're awarded with the Tony Award. Recognized with the Tony Award for your fantastic yeah. work. At, at 20 years old? Yeah. And yeah. You, hold, uh, you still hold that record, being the, the youngest person to, to win Best Supporting uh, best featured actor. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Somebody told me that. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. Like, uh, I would think Roddy McDowell had more. Yeah. Than him, like <laughs> <laughs> if anybody, it would be him, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got one. Um, Natalie Wood, you know. Na- right. Natalie Wood and Roddy McDowell share one. Um, so, yeah. how do you, how do you, you're 20 years old. Like, how do you keep your head? How do you try to have, a quote unquote normal youthful life when all of these amazing things are happening to you. I know it's, it's a, it's an insane year, you know, truthfully, I always remember it this way on, on, it was my birth. I left Torch Song on my birthday to fly to at at 20, I think, or 19 Mm. to fly to LA so I was quitting this big hit show because I got this movie and all that. So I fly on my birthday and on my 20th birthday, I'm flying back to start previews of Brighton Beach on Broadway, having mm-hmm. already done it in LA and San Francisco and all this. But during that year, my father died. Mm-hmm. So that year in my mind is complicated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't even know how to explain it. It was there was all this success, but I was not in a mood to be like. Nope. The way you you, you can't you really know. celebrate. No, I mean I did. I totally did. Yeah. And thank God for it. You know, and and I was, and it would have made my father so so happy, and it and it made my mom happy, and so it was great to have that as part of that year. But that yeah. year is that that's what that year is to me. It's sure. Those two. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so now we want to ask you, when did you first discover the joy of singing and dancing? <laughs> because when you did How to Succeed, like, had you been, do- you're a fabulous singer. And it's a brilliant as if you've been doing it for it's 30 like, years. <laughs> Song and dancing. Really? Nice. Yeah. That's why I was surprised when you said, oh, I took maybe a voice lesson once, but, you know, they, they didn't I'm, really. I'm very bullshit humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always enjoyed singing, to be honest with you, a mm-hmm. lot. And I, I, it's not like my, I know it's not my main, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always a little self-conscious about it too, but, but I'm, I love doing it. Sure. And uh, uh, I did it in high school. I took singing lessons. Mm-hmm. Right when I started taking acting lessons, I took singing lessons. Mm-hmm. Then when, when uh, How to Succeed, somebody suggested How to Succeed. Maybe Gene Sachs was going to direct it. Mm. Oh, okay. And then I was like, then I got, I was like, now I really better try to learn how to sing at least somewhat. And uh, I found a teacher named Keith Davis, who was like 90 years old or something like that, or in his late eighties. Love it. Uh, And fantastic. Great teacher. And um, 
I sang with him a couple of times a week. But then you'd go in there and, you know, some superstar, you know, Don Henley would walk out or something. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, wow. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he was hugely helpful to me. And um, dancing, I still, I never learned that. It just, whatever choreographer was stuck with me would, you know, be very patient with me. And I had taken, you know, a little bit of dance in high school, but I never really studied that. But I always really loved that too. And, and Wayne Salento, who did uh, How to Succeed, was great because he's just watched me try to pretend to dance and he would be like, yeah, yeah, keep doing that. And he would just add on that. So he, he made it all up that I could do, you know, it's, yeah. it's all, you got to have the people who do that. You know, Kathleen Marshall was great that way. And Susan Stroman, they've all mm -hmm. try to, they, they, they're used to people who aren't maybe trained dancers, but they say, well, what are you good at? And that's what good teachers do. Even in yeah. thing. I think I mean, so too. You know, they, they just find what you're good at and, and encourage Expand it. Expand you know? on that, yeah. Yeah. And I want to just mention Joan later, who taught me later. Oh, oh the, one of the yeah. best of all time. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. So I, I want, if I mention Keith Davis, I must say Joan later. I studied much more with her, too, and she's absolutely wonderful. Still teaching, yeah. Yes, and that's who I would go see if I, mm -hmm. if anybody asked me to sing now, absolutely. So this was a Gene Sachs idea to put you in How to Succeed, is that correct? It was either a Gene Sachs idea or somebody else's idea, and I suggested Gene. I don't that I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. It might have even been my idea. I don't, but I'm, I don't remember. But but it turned out we didn't really have the the rights were not uh, whatever production that was or that idea was didn't have the rights. Oh, so oh. when I, we were, we were looking around and they said no, the the Dodgers own the rights to that and. They want and Des Mackinoff. And then I was I remember being worried that Des Mackinoff wouldn't want me, but he did want me. So I was so it was sad that Gene couldn't do it. But uh but I think it worked out great and um and thank God I still got to be in it. So do you use different muscles when you're putting on a musical versus a play? Besides the the singing and dancing muscles. Do you I mean do you have a different yeah, approach? I think a little bit. You know, I think it took me a while to admit that in a way. I mean, it, it, it's not that different, but I, I, you know, a scene in a musical is fast and short. So I've I've done musical comedies. I haven't done any, you know, dramatic musicals, or I don't mm -hmm. think. But you you get to the point quicker. So yeah. so I think you do that in the acting too, like some acting that might not be acceptable in a straight play. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, but it's, I, it, it's a little stylistically it's, it's capital letters a little bit, you know, you have to, you have to get there faster. It's not naturalistic necessarily, yep. but except when it is, I know it's, there's a complicated answer, but they are That's a little good. different. And what and what do you love about Finch so much? And what did you love about How to Succeed so much to bring it back? I love that play. Mm -hmm. um, I just love it. I think it's hilarious. I love the songs. Um, I love everything about it. And I love that character. He's so awful, you know. And <laughs> but also he's just like everybody else, you right? Know? Yes. <laughs> um, he, he's just. It's great. I I love that part. And and I. And I remember there's one laugh in that that I'll I'll tell you a quick story that please there's a moment where um, he finished does something horrible to get himself promoted you know to step over somebody else and they're all gathered around the boss Bigley in his office and Bigley says Finch if there's one thing I like in a man it's humility you know because he thinks that Finch has been humble he's been the opposite and then I just kind of grinned and it gets a laugh because. He's so the opposite of humble. Yeah, right. And Robert Morse came to the show and came backstage and said, when he says, if there's one thing I like about a man, it's humility. He said, drop your head down, be humble. We just drop your head down and you'll get a laugh. And he said, um, drop your head down and maybe you'll get a laugh. And if it doesn't get a laugh, take your hand and pull your head down farther. <laughs> and it will get a laugh. <laughs> 
And uh, sure enough, it was like the biggest laugh of the night. You know? So I was like, wow, that must have been very good when, when you did it. Because that's much funnier than how I had it. I love it gave you that. Yeah. Oh, great. And then I gave it to uh, Daniel Radcliffe. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a legacy of theater right there. I mean, that's a perfect yeah. example. So after Bloxy Blues, you did, you, did a, you did Widow Claire as well. Did you, and then you did a lot of film. Did mm. you want to go back to the stage, but the film schedule was so intense? Or how did you, did you miss the were stage there, when you, when you. Were yeah. there other offers? Yeah, I did want to do theater uh you know at that point in movies i was i was doing well and i it becomes a uh my schedule got very busy right and god boy to be in movies you're just like i gotta do this while i can of course i just sort of forgot about stage i didn't i don't think i forgot about it but i i had a couple of chances to do plays and they were like you do a play you gotta do one year on broadway or something like that and i was like well, I want to have a chance to do maybe in that other movie that I was talking about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Was Broadway Bound one of those? Were you? So, did you want to complete the trilogy? Or Actually, I was not asked to do that. It might be because I was in a movie. I never really even heard yeah. about it. So I don't know if the part of Eugene in that one was, it would have been, a. I would like to have finished that trilogy to tell you the truth, but it, for whatever reason, it, it never just happened. I don't really remember the details of just, it. Just, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a, it wasn't like, oh, I'm done with theater. You just, you were so busy with film that yes. it no, just wouldn't I, allow you to go back. Yeah. I have always liked theater. And, and what I always thought was I got to, I want to keep both going so that if one goes poorly, I'll have something else to tell you the truth. Yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. And, uh, like half 16 came right in the middle of a bunch of movies, I think. Um, and then it, it, as you, as you age, it gets theater gets a little more attractive, and for the for roles, it gets hard in movies, you know. Yeah, mm. I think it, it seems like if you look at your career, you always like to reinvent yourself in some way, or the next thing is going to be what seems like a big challenge, you know, to go from he's mm-hmm. movie star to now he's doing musical theater to now it's a different type of musical theater. Is that something that you consciously look for to, to consistently keep challenging yourself or are you just like, this excites me, let's go for it. Both. I mean, it's mostly this excites me and, uh, you know, wherever the good, the best thing comes, I will do. Um, but I do try to, particularly when I was starting out, I was very frightened of repeating myself, you know, mm. getting a typecast. Yeah. Um, maybe overlay, but Herbert Ross also, you know, my first director, and he was always saying, you have to do something different all the time. Don't ever, don't repeat yourself. He was huh. very, very strong about that. And it seems like something that you, you still subscribe to today. I do a little bit because, you know, it happens anyway, though, you know. Yeah. I found myself playing kind of like schlebs in films like over and over again, and I, I and I know what's happening, but I couldn't really, uh, if you want to work, it, it it starts to happen. Audiences start to, they won't accept you in anything mm-hmm. else. It's mm-hmm. very hard to keep doing lots of It's like of a different. cycle. It's like a the cycle that feeds itself almost. Yeah. 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 Um, and do you feel like theater breaks that cycle for you? Yeah, I think it can. I think for whatever reason, people are more accepting of actors to uh, go outside of their their uh, zone or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it in, in theater, you know, you, you, partly because you can do things from the past, you know. That, and so then I think we should, we should ask you about the producers, um, right. which I'm sure you're, you, I don't know if you're sick of talking about, but we're going to, we're going to ask you anyway, if that's okay. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Which is how did, how did this come into your, into your orbit? You know, my memory of it is, is I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing at the time, but I started to see in the, I saw in the newspaper, mm-hmm. I think in the post or somewhere, either that I was doing it or that I was being considered for it. Oh. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was strange. Like sometimes <laughs> things aren't true at all, but I, I had read something about it. And then Tom Meehan, who, uh, the writer, wrote the with yeah. Mel, yeah. I saw him at Joe Allen and he was like, you know, uh, Mel wants you to be in the producers. (laughs) 
And I said, well, is he going to tell is, Who's going to tell me? Like, <laughs> when do I find out? And, um, and then meanwhile, I was, there was a movie script that I was connected with. And it was about an older guy and a middle-aged guy. And they said, we want Mel Brooks for the older guy. And you were this. And we want. So will you come to a meeting with the director, the producer? Mel Brooks will be there and you. And we'll talk about this movie. And I said, sure. Meanwhile, thinking, I wonder if, what happened to the producers? And now I'm going to meet Mel Brooks. So I go to a hotel and we're in the lobby, all this crowd. And we talk about this movie. I don't even remember what the movie was. We talk about the movie for a while. Everybody's schedule and it's how it sounds good. And then Mel says, now, can I speak to Matthew alone for a little bit? And all the movie people get up <laughs> and leave. And he brings up. He says uh, th about the producers. So he 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 piggybacked it onto that other meeting, I guess, because it was free. Or, I don't know <laughs> yes. why. You guys yes. were in the same place, same time. It was perfect. I love what it. Are the, what are the odds? Yeah. And we ended up. We sat at one of those tables by the elevator. That's like a pretend. You know, it's a set. Like not where right. in, in a hotel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. That's, we had our meeting at one of those tables, <laughs> and. Um, I'm such a fan of Mel Brooks my whole life. So okay. I was just like, every word he said, I was hanging on. And right. he, he borrowed a pen. He, he wanted to write down, he wanted me to come hear the music at Glenn Kelly's house. And he said, I'll write down the address for you. Do you have a pen? I didn't have a pen. He said, I'll go borrow one from the desk. And I see him get his pen and he comes back and writes it out. And he says, this is a very nice pen. I said, yeah, it is a nice pen. He said, you think I can keep this pen? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I mean, you know, you ask them. I'm sure they'll give you the pen. And so he got up and he went back to the desk and he came back. <laughs> and he said, they said they'd be happy for me to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you're you signed on and you do it. Yeah, what yeah. What is this? Had you met Nathan Lane before this? Did you know him prior to this? I had met him in passing, mm. but I didn't, I knew of him. I mean, he of course. Was legend, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I didn't, I had never worked with him. Somebody told me that he had wanted me for Leo, I think. Oh. Or at least, uh, I don't know if it was his idea, but so that was lucky. That helps. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we went and read it at, at uh, we read through it the first time at Susan Stroman's apartment around mm. her uh, breakfast table. Mm -hmm. Mel, Nathan, me, uh, Katie Huffman. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They had done a reading like months earlier with different actor for Leo, too. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but then, then I, that was, that's the first time I really read it out loud. And Glenn Kelly played the music, I think. Yeah. Day. Oh, the oh, great Glenn Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. I loved him. Love him. He's genius. So kind. Yeah. And, Smart man. and doing that first reading around a breakfast table, did you go, oh, this is something special? Did you know then and there, or did it take longer to figure out, hey, we were really onto something? I don't think I knew at all, you know, except that I, the producers was basically one of my very favorite movies in the world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Susan Stroman and Nate, you know, the people there were incredible. But I would say, and I think Nathan would agree that all through rehearsal, we didn't know if we were making a, a worse version of a great movie, you know. Are we hurting something? Are we, you know, I have no idea. Do the that songs help? That movie's know? pretty perfect. Right. So, you know, so yeah. it wasn't like we all thought, wow. This is it. We, we yeah. might have thought it sometimes, but but it, it was like any other show. It had its moments of, oh, God, is this a good idea? All that. You yeah, know? yeah. But mm -hmm. Until a little audience came to the uh, rehearsal hall to see a run-through you know, where they set up chairs at, at, at 42nd Street or wherever. And um, we were done with rehearsal before rehearsal time ran out, which has never happened even before. Wow. We were like, let's invite people a little sooner since <laughs> Stroman <laughs> is so prepared yeah. and everybody's ready. So um, we did two, I think, crowds of people at the rehearsal hall, you know, mm -hmm. and they laughed insanely. Mm. Little group. And I was like, Oh, this is uh, 
something's happening. And right. then, and then I think when Nathan and I did it for a little, an audience in Chicago was the first time they just sold the, they didn't, they gave away the balcony because the, the orchestra was still technical people. Mm-hmm. And we, did the, mm-hmm. we did the play just for the balcony in Boston and they went crazy. <laughs> That's incredible. Can, yeah. can we talk about an actor that we both really, really liked? And that's Gary Beach. Hmm. Sure. Sure. And what was it like working with him? Any, any memories of this incredible genius? Mm-hmm. He was just, he was extremely sweet and kind. He didn't hang out that much. So I didn't get to know him personally all that well, honestly. Um, only well, though. I mean, he was could not be nicer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he he was the kind of guy who would go home. He didn't he didn't go get drinks with everybody right. after, like we all did in Chicago. Um, but I, I will tell you, and particularly in Chicago, I could um, uh, when springtime for Hitler, the big number, Gary's big number, the, the way the theater was set up, I could watch that from the back of the house. I was able to kind of run down this uh, alleyway in Chicago and stand in back. And, and I watched, I watched that number pretty much every night. Cause I thought Gary was so brilliant. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would sit in the back and watch this incredibly happy audience and Gary just knock it out of the park and be different every night. And so funny. And also knowing that I get to go back and be in it some more in about five minutes. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> very 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 nice. nice. Wow, this looks good. I should be in this play. <laughs> and then, Matthew, our, yeah. our last question for you. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time. But what do you know now that you wished you had known when you were first starting out? Like, if you could go back and talk to that young man who's just starting off in Torch Song, what do you know that you wish they would know? Boy, I don't think I would know, I know any more now than I knew then. <laughs> you know? I, so that's a good I, enough That's a good I answer. Mean, I mean, I really don't. I, I, I think I had some arguments about things that I should not have worried about, but I don't think you can expect to know that when you're, yeah, when you're young. But yeah. there, there are some moments that I look back on with directors where I think, why did I stand up against the corner and I just do what the guy wanted or the woman yeah. wanted? You know, I, I was a little headstrong more than I am now, probably. Yeah. And Plaza Suite is coming in. God willing, it is coming uh, March. March, great. Good. We, yeah, we, the same as it was going to be, but one year right, late. Just postpone. And it's, yeah. that play is it's such a great play, and I'm I'm very looking forward to it. I just want to say because I think Neil such a it's so nice to get to know Neil Simon again. Yeah. So great, Abs- yeah. absolutely. And I hope this is the first of many of revivals of his Me of too. his shows. So let's Me keep too. our fingers crossed. Matthew, yeah. thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. This has been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. Thank you for everything. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you for everything. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back where in the orphanage, right? Back where she started. Yeah, true story. Rob saw it. Yes, and it was batty. It was bizarre. I was there. I was. Oh, God. So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already did.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.